And let's just open in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you're on the throne. Father, we're thankful you're sovereign over all. We're thankful that we live in America where we do have freedom to worship. May we never take that for granted. And Father, as you lead and direct and allow certain ones to take place of authority in our nation or state in our community, Father, I just pray that they would turn to you. Father, we as a nation, we've gone so far the wrong way. May we turn back to you so we can become one nation under God again. And I pray, Father, during this um, prayer time that we would pray for one another. Intercessory prayer is something we have as a privilege as believers. May we uh, continue to pray for one another. And we're thankful, Lord, again for this opportunity to come together to study your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. But we'll go ahead and get started on our uh, study this morning. During my time in the Army, just um, and I really miss the soldiers and families, but every six months we had what was called an APFT, which uh, we were required to do and pass in order to stay in. This consisted of push-ups, sit-ups, and a two-mile run. And as we would run the two miles... We had the opportunity is, I don't know if any of you know about running, but if you run and those muscles loosen up and you start walking, you're in trouble. Because then when you try to start running again, those muscles have tightened up. So along the way, there would be opportunities, a fellow soldier or such, who was supposed to be running but started walking. And so there was an opportunity to kind of exhort them, to encourage them to, you know, you just got a half a mile left. You just got one more turn, two more turns to exhort each other to run as fast as you could because you wanted to pass. You wanted to continue uh, to serve in the, the military. And once in a while, as uh, I would be getting to the last hundred yards or so, and those of you who have served in the military know how this goes. As you're getting to that last hundred yards, my chaplain assistant Quite often, would say, "Come on, chaplain, you can sprint it in." And of course, you're you're all loosened up. You're going for it, <laughs> and then you sprint it in, and then you start feeling the Charlie horse and everything else. But you sprinted it in, and so along the way, there would be times to exhort one another, to encourage each other. Well, in life, we have lots of opportunities to encourage and exhort one another. And this morning we're going to start a series entitled Exhortations for These Last Days, Part 1. And we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 27. The entire passage that we're going to look at, not this morning, but in the four parts of this study, is Philippians 1:27 through chapter 2, verse 18. And there's four exhortations that Paul is trying to encourage us in these last days. And we always say we're in the last days, but we know God isn't locked into time. So last days means we need to always be ready. Ready to give an answer when we are asked about our faith and ready for the Lord to come any moment of any day. 
So Philippians 1, beginning at verse 27 through 2.18, there's four words of exhortation. We're going to look at the first one this morning. And it's in Philippians 1, beginning at verse 27. Here's what is shared in God's Word. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. The first word of exhortation from Paul as led by the Holy Spirit is stand firm in the middle of persecution. Stand firm in the middle of persecution. Our conduct, our walk, our conversation, our manner of life should be worthy of who we represent. We're adopted into God's family through the gospel. We are citizens of heaven and ambassadors for Christ on earth. That's an honor to every day to step out in the world around us and represent Jesus, the one who created us, the one who saved us. We should ever be thankful for that. One commentator shares this. As citizens of the heavenly kingdom, we're traveling through a hostile world and we should be turning aside from its allurements and triumphing over all that would draw us from our true citizenship. We are in this world as pilgrims, strangers, and exiles. Pilgrims because we are traveling to our heavenly home. Every day we're here on this earth is one step closer to our heavenly home where we'll be how long? Eternally, forever. No end to it. Whether Paul could come in person or only hear reports from the church in Philippi, he hoped that their conduct, their way of life would be worthy of the divine privilege of being a Christian. Do we look at that every morning when we wake up and say, God, I'm thankful to be your adopted son or daughter? We say, Lord, thank you. I I can't thank you enough for what your love accomplished in sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins so that I could accept that and be a part of your family forever. Paul was the founder of the first church in Europe in Philippi. And at first they met, remember Lydia? That's where they met first, the seller of purple. It was in Philippi that Paul cast out the demon of the fortune-telling girl. And remember all that he faced from that. Remember Paul and Silas, they were in Philippi when they were arrested, beaten, and put in prison. Here in Philippians, Paul's writing from Rome. He's close to the end of his two-year arrest. One of many arrests. It's about 61 A.D. And he wants to at least hear about, if he can't in person, hear about the believers in Philippi that they're walking with Jesus. That they haven't gone back to their old ways. That they haven't turned to something in the world instead of Jesus. And that's what he longs to hear. 
So now the question becomes, how do we stand firm in the middle of persecution? And there's three ways in these four verses. The first way is shared in verse 27. Stand fast in one spirit. Verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. How many? One. Not many spirits, but one. The word spirit here is the spirit in which members of the church should be blended and fused together. We need that in the world that we face now. That spirit of self-denial, that living out rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This unity can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit breaks down all the barriers. No one's better than anyone else in the body of Christ. We're all given at least one gift and we are to use it not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the body. A soldier after returning from Iraq from two tours, she said she could tell that we were praying for her. And when she had those rough days, she said she knew God was right there beside her. And that kept her going. When those mortars came overhead, she said one hit within ten feet and rocked the earth. And she turned up and said, God, I know you're protecting me. Keep protecting me. Ephesians 4, 4 4-6 share, there's one body, one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. I love that. Isn't that great? Kind of a southern there. Through all and in you all. I like that at the end. He's in us. He's around us. He's protecting us. And we need protection nowadays, don't we? With everything going on. There was a lot of early persecution in the early church. Remember John and Peter? They were sharing the gospel. And they were arrested. And they were before the judge. And the judge said, you don't talk about the gospel anymore. And what did Peter and John say? Okay, we're not going to do it anymore. They went right back out and said they needed to obey God's command to share the gospel. Because the gospel has eternal consequences, right? It's not just for here on this earth. It's forever. Everybody that's born either is going to spend eternity without God or with God. Most without God. Because they don't accept that gift of salvation, the gospel. We support missions worldwide and I'm always amazed to hear the stories of missionaries and their close calls. How many know who Jonah is from Pakistan? I don't know how many times to have your name printed at the top of the newspaper that it would be good if you killed Jonah. How would you like that? And in your address. That's persecution. Mike shot with that close call with SOS Ministries in Africa. That could have, he could have easily been killed then, but God was right there with him. He still had a purpose for him to continue to reach out, reach out to people who need the Lord. 
How many in this world don't need the Lord? (laughs) That unsaved person who is a pain in the side and and always on our back, they need the Lord too. We always need to remember that this is recorded here by Paul who was Saul, remember? What was he doing before God got a hold of him? Persecuting Christians. He was watching them die. They were laying the Christians' garments at his feet. And yet God turned him around, didn't he? He can turn anybody around. He, he can turn us around. But again, every day we need to be saying, Lord, teach me what you want me to learn today. Help me to learn whatever lesson. I tell the inmates two things. In the morning, be thankful God woke you up. That means you got a purpose today. Maybe not next week, not next month, but today you have a purpose. Secondly, say, God, what do you want to teach me? What lesson do you have for me? And the one that they never want to learn we never want to learn is what? Obey is one, but it starts with a P. Talks about it in James. Beth? Patience. We love that one, don't we? That's why we have that uh, express line at Publix. That's why we have the, the quick drive through McDonald's. We want it quick. God says no. Everything that God does, God's not in a rush. Isn't that great? When we pray about something, God is, oh my, I almost forgot that one. Now, when he has us wait, what does that make us do? Trust. Trust in God. And sometimes he'll wait till the last minute, we think, but it's not last minute to God, it's his timing. And he'll have an answer more times than not that's even better than what we've asked for. He always works that way. We're all sinners saved by grace. No one's better than anyone else. And we're all a part of God's family. We need to be standing fast in one spirit. That actually means literally, the Greek word here, it means to hold one's ground. And I can relate to that. My first unit was light infantry. And we'd be in a certain area and they'd say, okay, I need you guys to hold that ground. Don't give it up. Hold fast. Well, we can hold fast one way by standing fast in one spirit as a body of believers. The second way, stand firm when persecution comes, beginning toward the end of verse 27, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too, from God. The second way is with one mind we need to strive for the faith of the gospel. What does that mean? That means that our mind or soul or will or emotions is to stand for the truth of God's word, the gospel, nationally against sin that is rampant and being promoted everywhere. It doesn't take much to see what's going on even in our own country. Romans 1, beginning at verse 24 through 32. Let's look back at that. Romans chapter 1. John MacArthur shared a message not long ago on Romans 1, beginning at verse 24. It talks about 
the sin, the evil being promoted. Romans 1 verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And then we get down to verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval of those who practice them. That's an accountability that God calls all of us to. That's why we need to pray for a nation. We need to pray for a country. It talks about striving here. It's a picture of a soldier standing at his post. And he's seeing the enemy coming and he alerts everyone. He's striving. He's being on the alert. He's watching. We need to be watching as believers. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. For 2 Timothy 4.7 I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Faith in who? In God. When we use God's word as our compass in life, it'll never let us down. When we allow the Holy Spirit to apply to our lives... His word, it'll get us through anything. And you know, someday, we don't know when it is, but when that day is, when God calls us from this earth to be going through heaven's gates, when that happens, someday, we'll just walk into heaven with the Lord. He's not going to desert us even in death. He's going to be with us. And if that means we're taking a stand for Him, and that's our time to go, we need to be willing to do that. How many have seen changes in the last 10 years in America? <laughs> 20. 10, 20 years. I've seen a lot in the last couple of years. But we are here as God's light and salt. And that unbeliever, those who are following some other way, they're following, they're on the broad road, they need Jesus. And if we are standing in one spirit, if we are striving for the faith of the gospel, it's such an honor at the jail to get a 62. That's what they, when they want to see a chaplain or see someone else, they check chaplain. But when I see on there, I saw one from the inmate a few weeks ago that said, I need Jesus. <laughs> wow. All the... The junk around him that was there before he went into jail is gone. Now he needs the Lord. And to go to him, and, and God's done all the work, but to see God work and change a life that was on the broad road to on the narrow road that leads to heaven. It's a great battle. That's why we're told in Ephesians 6, we're told about all the armor that we need, and we need every piece of that armor. 
We need to hold up the shield of faith. We need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. And God will keep us in the battle. Every morning we need to put all that armor on. Because the world is getting further away from God. And God's, when that happens, when it seems like it's time to give up, that's when we know God works. Because when we give up, sometimes we just need to say, God, work this situation out. I don't, I don't know what to do. And God says, good. Now you're going to rely on me this time. Now the mess you've already created, I'll help you through that and I'll help you through this situation. He has promised never to give us more than we can bear. Amen? And God can't lie. So either we take him at his word or we call on God a liar. Paul stood up in his day as we should stand in our day. We're commanded to be, again, God's salt and light. The faith of the gospel speaks of the faith of believing someone and putting our trust in him. Remember in Matthew 14, 22 to 32, we don't have time to read that passage, but Jesus and his disciples, you remember Jesus uh, is walking on the water and that whole situation and he says, don't be afraid, it's I as he continues to walk. Peter says, if it's really you, Lord, uh, tell me what to do. And the Lord says one word, come. Peter gets out and he's walking toward the Lord and then he sees maybe a fin or two over here. Uh, it might be a shark, I don't know what that is. He starts to sink, he says, help. And the Lord grabs him and together they walk back to the boat. But then at the end, Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We are a part of God's family, the, the God of the universe. There's no limits with our God. And then we doubted Him at times in our own lives. Say, well, those disciples, they're dumb. They don't know what they're... I, I'm sure we'd have been probably sitting in the boat. But Peter got out. Peter didn't always do everything right, did he? But he trusted the Lord on that occasion. Started to sink, but where was he? He was out of the boat. <laughs> he wasn't sitting in the boat saying, Peter, here's ten reasons why you shouldn't get out of that boat. <laughs> he was out there trusting the Lord. Verse 28, we shouldn't be terrified or alarmed. It pictures here a, a startled horse. The Philippian believers... And all of us shouldn't look for trouble when conflicts flare up. Due to our faith, we shouldn't shy away either. Why? Because we're not alone as we strive together for the truth, for the gospel. God stands for us. Paul gives us the assurance, the ultimate victory is ours. Where are we going to spend eternity? In heaven with the Lord. No more surgeries needed. No more aches and pains. No more putting up with that person at our jobs. We'll be in the Lord's presence. And I think we're going to be saying like with the angels, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We'll just be able to, to worship Him. F.F. Bruce shares, The presence of opposition, Paul assures them, shows that they're on the right path. It's a token of salvation to them as it is a token of judgment for their opponents. They will lose, you will win. 
As persecution intensifies and our faith in Jesus is challenged, we need to know that we're not alone. I recently shared a Psalm 91 bandana with a soldier who was on her way to basic. To remind her as she looked at that bandana, you're never alone. No one's ever alone in God's family. Whatever forms of persecution may take, verbal, social, mental, physical, or emotional, God can turn them into signs of salvation. When we get opposition, you know we're on the right track. It's when everything is peaceful and quiet and we're blending in with the world, we need to watch out. Because when we stand for the truth of the gospel, there will be opposition. Because most of the people want to continue on the broad road. But only by the grace of God can they be put by God onto the narrow road by accepting Jesus as their Savior. Matthew 5, 10 to 12, share. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that's the second way. The third way we can stand firm when facing persecution is shared in verses 29 and 30. And that is in suffering for our faith. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Verse 29, it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. We don't always say, well, that's my number one list. I I love to suffer. But it is a privilege. How did they treat Jesus? Why did he go to the cross? He didn't do anything wrong. He tried to, to love and care for people and show them. But Jesus went to the cross because he died for our sins. That was his mission for us. But not died, but rose again. So when we suffer for Christ, if we take a stand for the truth of the gospel... And we suffer. That's a privilege. MacArthur, John MacArthur shares, Believers, suffering is a gift of grace, which brings power and eternal reward. First Peter 4.13 But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Verse 30 reminds us believers in Philippi and us that Paul has suffered often. We listed all the times Paul suffered harshly through persecution. There was many, many times. It says, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Where was Paul? He was arrested. He's serving a sentence in Rome. Even when he's writing this. But how had Paul suffered? He was stoned in Acts 14. Remember Lystra? 
Remember he shared the gospel with them and they turned in an angry mob and they stoned him and they left him. They saw him laying there. They left him for dead. And they walked away. But who was with Paul? And I think this is a blessing here. Who was with Paul in that group? You remember? Luke. And what was Luke? Doctor. Okay, there was a blessing right there. He went over to Paul. Paul wasn't dead. Patched him up. What did Paul say? I quit. I'm done. No more. He said, let's go to the next city. God used in mighty ways. Paul was beaten in Acts 21. He was shipwrecked in Acts 27. He was imprisoned in Acts 16 and 24. The list goes on and on. So he could empathize with these believers in Philippi that you're going to suffer, but I've been there. I know how it feels, but it's worth it because the ultimate goal isn't here on this earth. It's in heaven to be with the Lord eternally. Persecution for our faith is to be expected when we stand for Christ. Words like sin and repentance, those aren't popular, are they? Most pulpits, you'll never hear that. Most Sunday school class, sin and repent. Oh, we don't say that. That's a mistake. That's not, that's not sin. But God calls it sin. His Word calls it sin. We are sinners. We need Jesus. And by His grace we've been saved. Here's a question. When we walk into a room and someone is telling a dirty story, do they quit telling the story or continue and ask us to come over and listen? Are we conformed to this world or are we being transformed by the Holy Spirit? It hasn't come down to it yet, but we need to remember the missionary martyrs of the past, all the martyrs listed in Hebrews 11. If being a Christian or preaching the gospel was declared illegal, what would we do? Colossians 1.29 reveals to this end, I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us to help us testify and stand up for our faith and to share the gospel with others. If somebody comes up to us and says, I want to be saved, what do we do? Well, let me go point you to this person or over here. Do we know what we can share? The gospel isn't that complicated. It's very clear in God's word. We all have opportunities that no one else has. People that we come in contact with. Will it make us popular with the world if we share the gospel? Will they applaud us and say, wow, I needed that. Thank you for pointing that out. It's all of God in the saving process, isn't it? I was speaking with an inmate this past week and I said, you know, we were dead in our sins. What can a dead person do? Hmm. I said, well, I don't think he can do anything. God had to make us alive to even respond. And then it's all of Him. It's by His grace, by His mercy that we are saved, that we accept that and become a part of God's family. We're exhorted here to stand firm when persecution comes, knowing we're united in one spirit. 
We're brought together by the Holy Spirit. We have one mind to strive for the gospel. We take a stand, not in our own strength, but in God's strength. And we expect and we should thank God for suffering for righteousness' sake, just like Paul and Jesus suffered. We as believers need to make sure our conduct, manner of life, brings honor and glory to God. So at the end of the day, we can say, God, I know I missed this and this. I should have been more aware there, but I pray that I brought honor and glory to you. So the, when, they, when an unbeliever looks at us, they see something beyond us. They see a glimpse, a, a little sliver of a glimpse of Jesus. Because every day we're to become more and more like who? Like Christ. It's not, it just doesn't all happen and we say, oh, wow, you know, he does everything perfect. But every day we should be making that progress because there's somebody around us that's watching us. As soon as they know we're a Christian, they're going to watch us. Because when a challenge comes in life, they're going to say, how do they handle it? Who do they trust? What do they do? And when it's anything but focusing on God, they're going to see that as well. So we're living testimonies of those around us. But what are we showing? Are we showing we're bringing honor and glory to God? That gospel summed up John 3.16. Let's say that together. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 14.6, Jesus says, I am what? One of many ways? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes under the Father but through me. That's it. One way. And I'm thankful. God makes it simple. It's not that hard. But we've got to put our trust in Him. The question, are we standing firm in the middle of persecution? Do we reflect the saving power of the gospel. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you so much for the encouragement through what Paul recorded for us. Just help us to apply it. Help us to live it. To stand firm even when persecution comes. You can only do it with your help, Lord. That's the only way. Thankful for saving us and help us to walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.